Well, I do invite you to turn with me to Psalm 115. This is the last of our uh, study of the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. If you're new to us here this morning, uh, the Egyptian Hallel Psalms are Psalms 113 through 118. And they are called Egyptian Hallel Psalms. First of all, the Hallel means praise, so they're psalms of praise. You'll notice that the last line is praise the Lord. In Hebrew, that's hallelujah. And then uh, the Egyptian part is because these are used, these particular psalms are used in the celebration of the Passover in families and in corporate worship. They are usually recited before and after the Passover meal. So this is the last one. We've skipped around a little bit. So here we are, 115 today. Um, and uh, let's stand together, as, if you're able, as we read God's Word. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Please be seated. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of our biological mothers, adoptive mothers, and spiritual mothers. I always like to highlight uh, all the categories of mothers because we depend upon not just our biological mothers or our adoptive mothers, but in the church, in the body of Christ, which Jesus told us to value those relationships even more than our own physical relationships, that we have spiritual mothers who have encouraged us in the faith, who have been an example to us uh, of God's steadfast love and God's faithfulness. They have faithfully encouraged us as they taught us in Sunday school and gave us an encouraging word and maybe even corrected us when we needed it. So thanks to all the mothers. And in light of the current debate on abortion, I also want to celebrate those, those who made the choice to be mothers when it would have been convenient to get an abortion instead. Uh, maybe you put your child up for adoption. That was a good choice. Or maybe you didn't make the right choice or a good choice. God's grace is for everyone, and he will forgive and cleanse and renew. So thank you, mothers, uh, as you model God's steadfast love and faithfulness to us. This psalm is talking about God's steadfast love and faithfulness, so it's a, a good one to think about on Mother's Day or Father's Day or 
or any time for that matter, because it is God's Word, of course. But today, I want to look at two things particularly about this psalm. And really, what this psalm is, is doing is pointing us to the worship of God, the true and living God, the God who is uh, a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, a God who protects his people, a God who is good. And uh, as opposed to the worship uh, that Israel saw around them in the nations that were worshiping false idols, gods that weren't really gods at all. So I want to look at first uh, idol worship and bring it into the 21st century a bit and think about how it's easy for us to fall into that. In fact, I would venture to say that we're all guilty of it. And then, really what the psalm's all about, what it, what, uh, what is, what it, what, how should we respond to this God in worship, of course? He's the true God. He's the one that we should worship, look to for blessing, etc. Well, if you notice here in verse 2, after the psalmist is giving the glory to God for his steadfast love and his faithfulness, he says, why should the nation say, where is their God? Now, why might this question come up by the nations? Obviously, they're paying attention to what's going on in Israel. We don't know the exact context, but apparently it would seem uh, that, that something is uh, going wrong in Israel. Uh, Israel is maybe facing a difficult time. Maybe they've lost a battle or maybe they're under threat. Or maybe this is written even later during the exile where the people of God were run out of their nation by the Babylonians and before that in the northern kingdom, the Assyrians. They might ask, well, where's their God? He's not doing anything for them. Uh, he seems impotent and maybe... Just maybe we've thought that ourselves as we think about why am I going through this difficult time? Where is God and why, is, why has he abandoned me? Where is God? Now another reason they would say that is because obviously as we uh, read in that long two catechism, long two catechism questions, uh, worshiping uh, an idol is considered sinful. Uh, it's forbidden in the commandments there. And uh, the nations all had idols that they worshipped. And they could say, well, my God is right there. He's that chunk of metal that we turned into a god or a piece of wood uh, that we turned into a god. And uh, when they had success, they were like, well, our God's working for us. And when not, uh, they thought otherwise. Maybe they brought in some other gods more powerful. But in Israel, or the people of God, they, they were forbidden from making any uh, images of their God because no image could do him justice. Uh, he is uh, the sovereign, omnipotent God who created all things. And if you fashion him into uh, an idol, a statue, say uh, a golden calf like the Israelites did at the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, that limits God. It doesn't tell everything about God. Maybe that golden calf communicated something like strength or fertility or virility. Who knows what they were thinking and why they picked a calf, but they were trying to represent the one true God, Yahweh. They actually say that. This is Yahweh. 
Well, that's demeaning to Yahweh because they just made him into something that Yahweh created. So an idol always falls short. And that's why we shouldn't uh, engage in making an image of God. So when the nations looked at Israel, they didn't see any idols anywhere. And, uh, and maybe they were going through a hard time. So they're saying, well, their God is not a very good God. You can't see him. And he's really not acting for them uh, like a God should. But the psalmist corrects them in verse 3. And it's a great statement. Our God is in the heavens. He's over everything. He is sovereign. And he does all that he pleases. He is absolutely free and in control. Our God is greater than these idols that can't really do anything at all. You know, they've uh, taken a piece of wood. Uh, Isaiah the prophet makes fun of the people who, who create idols. He says, yeah, they take a, they take a piece of wood. Uh, part of it they cut in half and put some of it in the fire and bake bread. And then the other half they fashion into an idol and bow down and worship it. And it shows the ridiculous nature of the idol worship. You've got a chunk of wood here. Part of it you're going to burn up. Part of it you're going to worship. That's just strange to Isaiah the prophet, and it should be strange to all of us. Now, why would someone fashion an idol? I mean, we, we think of it in the 21st century. Oh, that's kind of ridiculous, or, you know, that's for some people who are not as sophisticated as we are. Uh, we've moved beyond idol worship, uh, and we don't do that anymore. Even people who are pagans, or heathens, as, the, as it said in the hymn that we just sang, the song that we just sang, uh, they don't have idols like is being talked about here in the psalm. So why would someone fashion an idol? Well, they're doing it because they are trying to be blessed themselves. The, the reason that you would have an idol that you make in the image, you know, with a nose, a mouth, something in the image of man, is that you are trying to get a, a blessing. You're trying to have a good crop. You're trying to have lots of children. You're trying to prosper in some way, shape, or form. And so these idols would be created, and, and when they were successful, they gave credit to the idols. Yeah, the idols working for us. You remember that episode where the Israelites uh, take the Ark of the Covenant into battle and they lose to the Philistines. And the Philistines take the Ark, it's a symbol of God's presence, uh, they put it in the temple of Dagon. And in the morning, the, the, the image of Dagon is face down before the Ark and his arms and his legs have been broken off. And they have to prop him back up. And the whole story is kind of comical because here's the Ark of the Covenant and God's power and presence and the, the gods of this world are no match for him. You know, they have to actually prop the guy back up because he's so pitiful and pathetic. So the Philistines at that point, their god wasn't really working for them very well. And, of course, they had some other plagues that came upon them because of the Ark of the Covenant being there. And they ended up sending it back. We don't want this god around us because he's bringing judgment and punishment upon us. So they fashion an idol to control their circumstances, to get a blessing, to flourish, to have some version of the good life. So that's what idol worship really is 
all about. It's a manipulation, uh, looking for something to help you in life. Well, we may not have physical idols that we create in our day and time, but we do engage in the same thing. We do engage in idol worship, in idols of the heart, idols of the culture. We want the, the things of this world that our culture is telling us we need to have a good life. You need money. You need to be popular. You need to be dressed a certain way. You need to have the latest cell phone. You need to be online. You need to have all these various and sundry things in your life in order to be considered as having a good life. And that's idolatry. Uh, And mainly, money is at the root of all of it because money is powerful. It gives you a lot of uh, opportunities to engage in idol worship. Um, Money can give you power. And everybody loves power. And some people live to gain power, and that's all they're doing. Some people live for pleasure. Now, money can give you pleasure, pleasurable experiences. You can buy things that give you pleasure. Uh, money can also make you popular. Um, you, know, you can be the life of the party. Uh, you can buy things and buy people's uh, positive opinions. So money, that's why Paul says the, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It leads you down a path, when you love money, of all kinds of other idolatries as well. So they, they fashioned an idol out of wood or metal. We fashion idols out of the heart uh, matters, things that we desire, things that we are taught to desire. We fashion the idols in the image we want. We, we want a certain life, and so we pursue certain things to get that sort of life. Uh, we want to be popular, or we want to be beautiful, or we want to uh, have a lot of money. We want to have uh, the big boat or the great house or whatever it might be, creature comforts of any form or fashion. And we're taught to pursue those things. And we, we live for those things. We love those things. We trust those things. We obey those things. Think about money as an example. If you love money, uh, you will trust money. Because you can get a certain amount of security with money. You can buy security. You can also, it'll also uh, obey, you have to obey it. You know, in order to have that lifestyle, you have to live a certain way. You have to meet certain demands. So you become enslaved to that idol. For it to bless you, you have to serve it. Well, when you boil it all down, what you're actually doing is self-worshipping. Um, why do we pursue certain things in our lives? I want something. I want to be something. I want to have something. I want to experience something. That's where idol worship finds its home, in self-centeredness. That's why this psalm starts like it does. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. 
Not me, Lord, but you should have all the weight, all the significance. You should have all uh, the gravitas. You're the most important thing, not me. When you pursue the idols of our culture, the, uh, the idols of the world, what you're really looking for is a blessing for yourself. You're, you're, you're wanting your God to make you happy. You want your God to serve you instead of serving God. It's self-worship. Look at verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. The idols are in our culture, and they do what we please. Those idols that they fashioned in biblical times were in temples, and they were there to do what the people pleased. See, that's what this psalm is talking about, is breaking out of thinking just about ourselves and what we want and, and turning our attention to the one who is worthy to receive all glory and honor, the one who is sovereign over everything and should be loved and trusted and obeyed. So, yes, we are just as guilty of idolatry, self-worship as anybody in the world. And a lot of times we're guilty of syncretism. So syncretism is when you worship more than one God or you have two different religions going on at the same time. We can come to church and we can make a profession uh, of our Christianity and sometimes we can live it out while we're still pursuing the, culture, the, uh, the idols of our culture. We can just be as much involved in idol worship while we're worshiping God, while we're worshiping Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, syncretism is something that we're guilty of. And this psalm calls us to refocus, to take our eyes off the world, off ourselves, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to you, all glory, and to turn it to where it belongs, to what we were created for, is to know God. And that's eternal life, knowing God and Jesus Christ. Well, another way that we can engage in uh, idol worship or fashion a God after our own image like they did here in the psalm is when we pick and choose what parts of Scripture to believe. Well, I like that part, but I don't like this part over here. Well, all you're doing when you do that is you're creating the God that you like, that you want, not the God that's revealed himself. So we need to come to the Lord humbly bowing and saying, Lord, as you have revealed yourself, I will receive that. I will believe it and I will trust in you. Well, now, let me move off of idol worship. Uh, we're all guilty of it at some time or another. And just be aware of it in your life. And maybe look and see, am I just using God to serve me? Because that's another way we can do it. Am I just following God so he'll bless me? And you'll know you're doing that when things go wrong. You'll say, you'll be angry at God because... You're not getting what you want. But God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. And so the proper response is, Lord, I don't know why this is happening to me, why this is so bad, but help me to understand. Help me to learn from it. 
help me to trust you in it. And a lot of times God is using these difficult circumstances to help us to know him and experience him more deeply. Consider those things as we move forward. Why should we worship God? The true and the living God is described here. He gives us numerous reasons. First of all, his steadfast love and faithfulness are mentioned in verse 1. Steadfast love, we talked about it a week or two ago. That's one word in Hebrew. Uh, it, it, it means uh, covenant love. Sometimes it's uh, translated mercy, but it really has more uh, of, of a relationship that is built upon vows. God has bound himself to his people like a marriage. And that imagery, of course, is used throughout Scripture to describe the relationship God's people has with God or Christ has with his church. We are the bride of Christ in the church. And so God's steadfast love, we should give him the glory because of his steadfast love, because he loves us. Uh, he has bound himself to us. He has said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he will not break that promise. We are bound to him by faith. And his faithfulness, trustworthiness is another way that you can, that you can translate this. God can always be trusted. He's always good. He's always got our best at heart. And everything that he brings into our lives, even though... We may think this is awful, it's terrible, and it may be terrible. But God always is good and faithful and trustworthy. You can always trust him, even when you can't see what the future holds. God is trustworthy, and that's what the psalmist is celebrating and reminding the people. Because, yes, the nations are looking at him and going, where's your God? It's not going well for you, Israel. He's saying, look, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. He's faithful. He's always faithful. He's steadfast in his love. Keep trusting him, Israel. And he says it over and over and over again in verses 9 and 10. Trust the Lord. He is their help and shield. He's going to help you. He's going to protect you. Help and shield. So our God is in the heavens. He does all of these pleases as opposed to what I please. He is there overseeing it. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without him knowing about it. He knows the number of hairs upon our head or lack of. He knows it all. And he remembers us, verse 12. And that's not just going, oh, well, I forgot about him and, oh, now I remember him. That's not how God does it. He remembers us means that he always remembers us. He's, he always has you in his mind. He has never forgotten you. That's what it means when it says he remembers us and he will bless us. And that word blessed is used like five times here. God will bless, God will bless, God will bless in the ways that he sees fit. Maybe not in the way that we see fit, but God will bless us. He's already blessed us and we can trust him. He's blessed us with this earth, he says. Now, why should we trust him? Well, that steadfast love. First of all, 1 John 4, 9 through 10 tells us that that love, that covenant steadfast love has been manifested. It has been revealed to us in a very tangible way. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
You want true life, follow this God. If you want to be like the idols, because that's what verse 8 says, those who make those idols that can't do anything, that are actually dead, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And then the last verse, the last couple of verses there say, uh, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. If you worship idols and you don't praise the Lord, if you don't follow this God, the true and the living God, then you're going to go down into silence. You're going to die. But through Christ, we have life, eternal life. In this is love, John goes on to say, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice of atonement so that we could be at one with God. And even in the difficult times, we can look to the Lord's faithfulness. Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? If your idol is for you, there's plenty that can be against you because they can't do anything for you. They can only make you like them. They can't save you. They can't help you. They only make you like them and then trap you and cause you to be spiritually blind that you can't see that you're trapped and make you spiritually impotent so you can't get untrapped. But God is for us, the omnipotent God who can be against us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, everything that we need, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. See, he's not forgotten us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. In your tribulation, you are not separated from God. He hasn't forgotten you. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? Nakedness, danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let us bind ourselves back to this God who is bound to us committing ourselves to him. As it says there in verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, because those who make them become like them, verse 8. But verse 18 says, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So here's the difference. This time forth and forevermore, we will bless the Lord. It's not just while we're on this earth. We will be doing that forever because he's promised us eternal life. Life is found in Christ. So yes, not to us. We didn't do it. Not to us. We don't deserve it. But to you, Lord, may you have all the glory for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So trust him. That's what this psalm is calling us to do. Trust the Lord. Trust him with your life. Trust him with everything with all the circumstances of your life. Put your life in his hands. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, our Holy Spirit, uh, we pray that 
you, God, would work in us to help us to let go of the idols that we fall into. Help us to let go of our own self-worship and be truly those who love you, who trust you, who serve you and obey you. Lord, we pray that we would be reminded that it's not about us, but it's about you. And Lord, we pray that we would know those blessings that come from your hand in your goodness to us and truly appreciate them. Lift our blinders. Give us strength to throw off the false worship, the idols of the heart. Help us to be free from their enslavement. And Lord, may we run with endurance the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.